Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church, Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another, and impacting the world. Lead us in worship in song. So we are again turning to Exodus chapter 20 this morning. But I do want to make a few comments, some introductory comments before we read the passage. And also, I do want to pray uh, once again as well. So it will be Exodus chapter 20, and we're going to be looking at the, the section from verse 18. But our Father, we do come before you, bowing our heads, Lord, my own admission and recognition of, Lord, dependence on you. Uh, Lord, we don't want to be about just talking, just words. We want to be about that which, Lord, you have revealed and enabling us, Lord, to respond in ways that are pleasing and honoring to you. And so praying for your Holy Spirit, that he would be at work in us as individuals, every one of us, Lord. We stand in need, young and old. Those, Lord, who have come here this morning, And even, Lord, uh, believing that you have an appointment with each one, we pray. And so, guide us, uh, lead me in the words I speak, and, and Lord, even the response that we bring. In Jesus' name, amen. So, I was converted uh, at 16. That's a long time ago now. And uh, listened to many sermons. And back in those days, we went to church twice on a Sunday, regularly. So there was something that emerged in my mind, listening to these many sermons week in and week out. Led me as a young Christian to ask the question, so what? I don't know if it's a rebellious spirit, but but, but you know, so what? You know, Going to church on a Sunday morning, Sunday evening, two sermons every Sunday, passages from the Bible, read books of the Bible, taught and explained, and, and a flood of information coming my way. So I came to think, and I want you to think this morning as well, surely hearing the Word of God must lead to some sort of outcome. If there is nothing to take away... What's the point of the sermon? We haven't just come to spend an hour together and and achieve nothing. Surely what has been said must have some kind of impact, not only on your thinking, but also on your practice, the way that you live your life, the way that I live my life. So being exposed to God's word cannot, surely cannot, It must not, it should not be like water off a duck's back. So why am I saying this this morning? It is because we have been literally plowing through the Ten Commandments. We've been doing so one commandment at a time. And at last, last week, we got to commandment number 10 and we're done. So my question to you this morning is, so what? You've heard the Ten Commandments, you've had them explained to you, you're familiar with the Ten Ten Commandments, now what? Is there some kind of response? Is there something uh, that we ought to do? Well, to answer that question, I want us to examine this passage uh, from Exodus chapter 20 this morning, from verse 18, and we're going to read, we're going to examine, we're going to apply the response of the Israelites 
having heard the Ten Commandments, and then see, well, how is it that we should respond? How can we respond? How is it that God would have us respond uh, to the Ten Commandments, what some people have called the tables of the law? Right, so if you have your Bible open, turn then to Exodus 20, verse 18. Uh, Just these three little verses here this morning. Uh, Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us, lest we die. And Moses said to the people, Do not fear. For God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. After giving these ten commandments, we're told something of these Israelites' response. There was a response. There wasn't just a water off the ducks uh, of a a duck's back. I'll read that verse 18 again. When all the people saw the thunder, the flashes of lightning, and the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood afar off. Now, I want you to notice that there is something about these people that all of their senses were engaged. These people were, were, were very aware of what was going on, and they were responding in the entirety of their, their person. They, they saw something. They heard something. I believe that they could even touch, literally touch touch something of the smoke that is billowing out the mountain. They certainly smelled the smoke. They tasted the smoke. So so as people, they were fully engaged in this particular uh, event, in the phenomenon that was taking place. And, And we need to ask ourselves, what is it that they saw? What is it that they were responding to? You see, they have been and are now still exposed to what we today would call a theophany. Simply meaning an appearing of God. God appearing. It's not my imagination. If we go back in the passage, it can be confirmed uh, that even before the giving of the commandments, back in chapter 19 and verse 18, Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. God had descended on the mountain. The mountain was trembling. But these people also were scared. They were trembling. And so I want us to think this morning in my first point, being afraid of God. Ever think in those terms, being afraid of God? Their response again now, threefold response, there's an emotional response. They are scared, literally scared. There's a physical response. They are shaking. They are literally trembling in their boots. And there's a spatial response. They, they, they put some distance between themselves and God. There's, they're standing far off from the mountain. And so my, my point is, as we think about this passage, when God descended on the mountain, the immediate reaction of the people is not, Hey, everybody, yes, yes, God, uh, uh, God is over there. L- let's go and, and see. It's none of that. Instead... As they witnessed the appearing of God in the sound and the sight of Sinai, trembling, their immediate instinctive response is to take a step back and they say, God is there. We are, we're in trouble. We're in danger. Don't forget that this particular point in time, they haven't had 
any time to break the Ten Commandments yet. And they're still trembling. They're still scared. They realize that there is something true about the nature of God that left them being scared. Why? I want us to just think about two things this morning about what they must have realized, what they did realize. They were left being scared knowing that God cannot be treated flippantly. One of my desserts, my family know this, is a trifle. Okay, you all know what a trifle is. If you don't, I'll tell you. It's got some fluffy cream, uh, top layer. And then underneath, it's normally some instant butterscotch pudding. That's the one I like. Um, and then some, I think ladies use old cake. They mix it into the trifle and they throw some uh, fruit. And then mix it all together. And it's a trifle. Well, I checked up. Someone has described a trifle as something that is light, airy, and of little substance. But I like it anyway. Now, my point is this. That word trifle, the Israelites knew in those moments that God cannot be trifled with. God cannot be treated as light and airy and of little substance. It's God. There's a weightiness about God. We cannot overlook or disregard the weightiness, the heaviness. He cannot be treated flippantly or carelessly or disrespectfully. That was two weeks ago, Jabu was giving thanks to God for uh, a revival that was reported as taking place in the U.S. I don't know how many of you have seen some of the YouTube videos, literally thousands of views on YouTube showing what is reported at a place called Asbury University in Kentucky. And I went and checked it up and had a look at some of the clips. And uh, the question is, is it a genuine revival? I hope so. We've prayed so, even in our prayer meetings. I don't know. God knows. But here's something I want us to think about, Asbury, whether we think about it individually or even as a church. It all depends on whether they are showing in their responses, in their expression, evidence of seeing something of the weightiness of God. Otherwise, it's nothing more than a concert. The Bible shows us This passage is absolutely clear. God is big. God is eternal and powerful and transcendent. He's not the latest rising star. He's not the current funky celebrity or the leader of the latest fad. God is not to be trifled with. These people saw it. They realized it. And there's a lesson we can learn from it. Look at these Israelites and what they say to Moses in their response uh, to the appearance of God in the thunder, the lightning, and the smoke in the mountain. Verse 19. Moses, you get, get something of the sentiment, the feeling, the emotion. You, you speak to us and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us lest we die. It's not isolated. If you go back to what they experienced early in the day, Exodus 19, they had good reason to be afraid. In verse 12, 
whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. Verse 21, warn the people lest they break through to the Lord and many of them perish. Verse 24, do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord lest he break out against them. You see, these people had been warned several times and no idle threat. You need to know there is something about the nature of God that you cannot treat God lightly. But then secondly, also knowing that God is powerful. Holy and just. So much of what God is like, this is what we read much of in the early books of the, of the Old Testament. We learn so much about the nature of God and, and, and they, they learned, they, they'd seen, they'd discovered, they'd been told uh, so much of what God is like and, and, and just think of their recent history as a people. The, the incident of Moses at the burning bush, something of the holiness and the self-sufficiency of God revealed to Moses. God who is uniquely uh, not dependent, self-sufficient. What about the Exodus? What did they learn about God? Well, they must have realized the justice of God, that Pharaoh was held to account. They must have seen something about the sovereignty of God, the intervention of God bringing them out of that place, him being responsible for that liberation. They must have seen something of the power of God, the mighty power of God, a plague after plague that they witnessed. And then I thought as a as a helpful affirmation and summary in the song of Moses after the, the, the exodus uh, that he and the people sang in chapter 15 verse 11. These people realized and they, they expressed who is like you, O Lord, among the gods. To, to, to get this, the, the, the realization, uh, the nature of God. The, the, the question is, there's none. There's none. He goes on, who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders. I want to quote uh, Kevin DeYoung at this point. I think he says something that's worth noting. He says, people in our culture are spiritual people. Even in 2023. They like to talk and think about God. How often? This is a question he asks. How often do they really contemplate, let alone grasp, the full godness of God? Do you grasp something of the godness of God? Have you ever thought, if only God would speak to me directly, if only I could hear his voice, if only I could have an experience that, that seemed to have all uh, that they seem to have had in the Bible. And then he asks the question, are you sure that's what you want? The Israelites had a little bit of that, just enough to say, Moses, you talk to him, we're going to be dead. Israelites in those moments had seen enough and heard enough to realize that God is all-powerful, that is infinitely and uncompromisingly holy, unchangeably just, and they are scared. They are scared. Now here's the question, application. Were they, and of course bringing it to us, are we to be in a state of perpetual fear in our response to the Ten Commandments? Think about that. The answer Moses gives in this passage is no and yes. 
I must remind you before I move on to my next point that Moses is speaking to a redeemed people. Before the Ten Commandments, God had of his own sovereign and good pleasure intervened. He rescued them. He saved them. He set them free from bondage. And so now the law comes to them after their salvation. So in like manner, the demand on you and me for a walk of holiness as a believer, as a new creature in Christ, comes after your salvation. So the response to the Ten Commandments is the necessary pursuit of holiness to the redeemed people of God. We ought to obey. We ought to submit. We ought to be under His Lordship. But now here's a, here's a useful question, I believe. What do you do or what do you need to have to be an obedient child of God? What, what will keep you? I don't know if many of you remember uh, the book, I Kissed Dating Goodbye by Joshua Harris. And Joshua Harris was a kind of an icon amongst young adults uh, because of his strong stance on commitment to God. And then a few years later, he came out and turned his back publicly on God. And he, amongst others, have introduced the concept of what they call deconstructing their faith. Now my question is, what would have kept Joshua Harris from turning his back on God? What would have stopped Joshua Harris from leaving his wife and children to pursue a homosexual relationship? What was missing? You see, I have to ask you, I have to ask similar questions. What, what will keep you from having an affair? Or shacking up as a young adult with a girlfriend or boyfriend? Or looting money from your employee? Or shooting a taxi driver? Or slandering your friend? Or coveting your neighbor's goods? What, what is it that you need, that you must have? And, and I believe as we look at this passage, the yes and the no answer from Moses in what follows, clarifies the need for being obedient to God. So my second point this morning is having a certain kind of fear. So have a look at verse 20. Moses said to the people, do not fear. There's there's the yes. So you, you don't need to be feared. For God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you. Now, it took me a long time to understand this verse. I read it, and I read it, and I read it, and I said, hang on, this is contradictory. It doesn't make sense. But then as I dug, as I dug, as I studied, hang on a minute. Yes, at first reading, it looks very confusing. It appears like a contradiction. In the same sentence, don't be afraid, be afraid. What does he mean? Well, I'll give you a short summary of a teaching of all of the Bible, just in a couple of sentences on this particular topic. Another time I'll go into detail. There are two aspects of the fear of God in the Bible. Did you know that? Two aspects. There is repeatedly the revelation of the fear of dread, being scared, uh, afraid of God, and, and, and the fear of God, the afra- uh, being afraid of God, here's the point, when the conduct of your life is such that there is reason to be afraid of God. Sodom and Gomorrah, they would be a good example. The conduct of their lives provoked the anger and the wrath of God. 
quoting John Murray, he's a theologian, he puts it very succinctly, he said, it is the essence of impiety, the essence of ungodliness, not to be afraid of God when, there's a re- when there is reason to be afraid of God. Joshua Harris, you better be afraid of God. But there's another. It's the fear of reverence. It's fear that brings about confidence and love and awe and obedience to the Almighty God. It's the fear of veneration. It's based on the recognition of who God is in His, in His, in His Godness, in His dignity, in His might, in His sovereignty, in His glory, in His excellence, in His worth, the exalted position of God. And so, so the implication is, yes, you ought to live your life in such a way, in your pursuit of holiness, being obedient to the commands of God, Avoiding the discipline of God, avoiding the wrath of God, therefore not needing to have the fear of dread. Don't be afraid. But, let's go on, you ought to live your life in such a way, in your pursuit of holiness, being obedient to the commands of God as one who draws near in reverence and awe, having the fear of Him before your eyes. Be sure to have the fear of Him before you. In fact, I am convinced biblical Christianity, that's what we push in this church, if anybody's wondering, biblical Christianity, the very essence of being a believer is you need to know something of the fear of God before your eyes. There's a certain kind of fear. Because you're avoiding sin, knowing better who God is, Not to fear him in dread because of the disobedience of sin. No. God doesn't want a fear that keeps us away. He wants a fear that brings us close. He wants to have us experience intimacy with him. It's intimacy with God, not carelessness. No. No. So we get back to the phenomena of the day, the thunder, the flashes of lightning, the trumpet, the smoke on the mountain, the appearance of God that made them afraid. Moses says to them, God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before your eyes. In other words, he's saying to them, this experience God is giving to you, giving you the best blessing and benefit, this terrifying experience, so that you may not sin. Obedience, that's the point, is the category in the Christian life that does not disappear when we are saved by grace. Israel was saved by grace, delivered out of Egypt, then they were given the law after the gospel. And God says, I want you to follow me. And so the first emphasis, and I'm only dealing with one emphasis this morning, of the so what of the Ten Commandments, is that there ought to be a certain kind of fear of God that we believers must have, and we must nurture this and cultivate this in drawing near to God in obedience to the commands of God. And so there is a challenging question. Do you have a fear of reverence for God that moves you in willing obedience to obey God? Therefore not needing to have the fear of dread. I want to close with a third point. I think the psalmist helps us to see that the key to a healthy fear of God flows from forgiveness. And I've called the the point receiving 
the fear of God. So to experience the substance, the, the, the real guts, if you like, of the fear of God, is all, it always depends on being in a state of consciousness of forgiveness of sin. Now, it's not my idea. It's the uh, psalmist helps us understand this, Psalm 130. Uh, the very opening verse, the first verse, gives us a clue to the context of what he's grappling with. The psalmist is in a state of dejection in the depths of despair. He's rock bottom. And let me read what he says, Psalm 130, verse 1. Out of the depths I cried to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. Where is this guy? He is struggling rock bottom. He is in a place of, of absolute despair and desperation. Well, we must ask ourselves, why? Verse 3, you see what the depths are. He's conscious, he's fully aware of being guilty and defiled, and he sees himself as a wretched sinner. Verse 3, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? What's happening? In the light of who you are, God, this is what his realization is, the sovereign, holy, majestic, powerful, and just, if, if you, God, take note of my sin, and, and they can be listed on, on reams of paper and, and stored on a database, will I be able to stand in your presence? Now, of course, no. But then he goes on in verse 4. But with you there is forgiveness. You see, folk, the forgiveness that God gives will bring about to the discoverer an experience of the fear of God. Because he goes on in the very next phrase. But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. A real discovery. There are lots of uh, counterfeit experiences of Christianity. A real discovery of God's forgiveness will always secure a fear of God in the heart of the person who discovers it. Now, why is that? And I want to close with, with asking you to think about this. You see, forgiveness is not something that is simply just doled out lightly. Forgiveness received comes in the light and the glory, in, in, in light of the glory and majesty of the cross. And you have to contemplate, you have to think, you have to understand what is it that, that, that at the cross makes me realize something of the fear of God in awe. It's the significance of Jesus who is the God man. God, this, the Godness, the bigness of God, this God, eternal God, uh, holy God, just God, takes on human flesh and there's a condescension, there's a humiliation in, in him becoming a baby amongst an insignificant family in, in a stable because there was no place in, in the inn. And, and he lives a life and, and, and he's humiliated in, in false accusation and death. Look, if you don't get that, you will never know something of the fear of God in your life. This is the extent of the love of God. And then his exaltation, his resurrection, his, his ascension, his session in heaven. And the realization for me, believing, trusting God for this forgiveness. Grasping and apprehending what Jesus has done will bring me peace from the fear of dread. There is now therefore no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. 
but with a subsequent response of the fear of Him before you in terms of gratitude and awe and adoration and reverence and relationship and intimacy and authentic worship. Now, I want to tell you, I've been in the ministry long enough to know that we can play around with lights. We can do something about the paint. And we can get involved in all sorts of elaborate musical efforts. And we can stir, very easy to stir, some kind of fabricated religious experience. It will be absent of worship if that experience does not see the godness of God. And so to ask this morning in response to the Ten Commandments, do you have something, do I have something of the fear of God before my eyes leading me, leading you in a pursuit of holiness and obedience, because that's what holiness is about, to the honor and the glory of God. And so, Lord, I pray to that end and, and confess, Lord, that this is a task unfinished. Each one of us still being sanctified, perhaps even some among us needing for the very first time even to be converted, to be born again of your spirit. And we pray, Lord, that by your spirit you would indeed convict, even as you promised, the world of sin and righteousness and judgment, bringing about a turning and a repentance in the hearts and lives of the unconverted. But Lord, for those who do know you, for those who have been created in Christ Jesus, to perhaps even afresh this morning, pursue deliberately, intentionally, a life of obedience in honor of you, living, understanding, comprehending the gift of forgiveness and greatness in view of who you are, and growing in our understanding of your very nature, of your greatness, your transcendence and your glory, your holiness, your love, your kindness. We pray this, Lord, in your name for the sake, even, Lord, of us as a people today, but, Lord, ultimately pointing to the greatness of your grace. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.